0: Welcome to the Bonner Private Research Podcast. I'm your host, Joel Bowman. Each week, we bring you exclusive conversations with members of Bill Bonner's private research team, as well as some special guests we'll meet along the way. We're trying to connect the dots, from high finance to lowly politics, private investments to public follies, from Wall Street to Main Street, at home and on the road. We're into sound money, personal freedom, classical books, and great wines. Not always in that order. So join me and the rest of the Bonnet Private Research Team, as we pack our bags and follow the money. What does it mean to lead a purposeful life? How do we discover meaning in a meaningless world? By what standards are we to measure our successes and failures as individuals, as members of a community, as human beings? In an era of cheap virtue, fast morals and shortening attention spans, questions like those posed by the ancients can sound like quaint, navel-gazing anachronisms. Why bother meditating on what it means to be a good person when we can simply update our social media status, Proclaiming and, adver- ad- proclaiming and advertising ourselves as such. We're all woke, anti-racist, anti-fascist post-colonials, aren't we? Just as we recall the important concept of semantic overload from our linguistics classes, right? We all buy recycled knick-knacks and sip fair trade lattes and drive electric vehicles too, right? Never mind where the recycling goes... Or what fair trade actually means or where the electricity comes from to recharge those toxic rechargeable batteries if we declare that certain lives matter if we say his her or their name if we kowtow to the mob majority we may hope to escape the pains of actually thinking for ourselves Hmm. long ago in a land far far away a bunch of philosophers passed their distant days reckoning on these and plenty more important subjects besides. It matters not that they were mostly a bunch of dead white guys, but that their insights are available to anyone with the inclination to investigate them, regardless of class, colour or creed. The ancients musings on the concept of eudaimonia, for example, are equally available to folks with high and low melanin content, just as they are to those among us possessed of Y-chromosomes and those without. To suggest otherwise would be racist, sexist, or both. No? Sometimes associated with happiness or well-being, eudaimonia is probably better defined as human flourishing, or a general wellness of spirit. It gets at the very heart of those cobwebbed questions above, concerning the purposeful life and how best to lead it. And that, as we shall see in today's conversation, involves a certain amount of self-reflection, of grappling with what Socrates meant by that wonderful phrase, the unexamined life is not worth living. A worthy call to action if ever there was one, we hope you'll agree. To help us unpack all that, and plenty more, I caught up with my old friend and founder of Agora Financial, Addison Wigan. Over the course of an hour or so, Addison and I talked about the books that mattered to him, why we should resist growing calls to cancel the Western canon, how politics have changed over the course of the U.S. empire, and why having fistfights at 40,000 feet is probably not a good idea. We also cover exploding government debt in a post-COVID world, reminisce about his big-budget movie, I.O.U.S.A., and wonder what the classically trained founding fathers might think about the current state of the Union. All that and plenty more in my conversation with Addison Wigan up next. Yeah, that's good. You know, I was thinking about these kind of patterns and cycles with regards to your uh, email that you sent around the other day. With Eva burn Yeah. Not not to be confused, yes, with the yes. Fuhrer's uh, mistress. I just think... Yeah, <laughs> I actually heard a, a podcast with her like a year ago. I was wandering around the the parks in Buenos Aires during the middle of the the lockdown, so everybody was you know inside, and the city was kind of like a ghost town. And I was listening to these podcasts, and uh, one fellow who does his name's Gil Roth does a podcast called the Virtual Memory Show, and he's an ex Johnny. Uh, maybe,
1: maybe oh her, interesting. Her no, show, but he,
0: he had uh, Eve Braun on the show. And I didn't realise, but, uh, you know, she's kind of legendary. I think she's been um, a tutor. I shouldn't say professor because I think in St. John's it's tutors. They, she's been at it for like 50 years. Yeah, yeah, some half a century yeah. almost. And yeah. so one of the questions that he asked her, like right off the bat, was, hey, you've been, you know, at the front line of educating America's youth for half a century now how have they changed during that time and i think he was expecting some uh, you know some kind of seismic shifts uh
2: yeah, like but
0: yeah yeah but, but she she didn't and i know she's a she's a student of heraclitus and uh, an exponent of the enantiodroma phenomenon whereby all things at all times are in the process of becoming their opposite or our intention with their opposites so
2: yeah.
0: you know cool things warm and the sodden becomes parched et etc cetera, etc cetera. so she took the approach that actually when she started teaching these kids or mentoring these kids they were very conservative socially and culturally and they had close ties to their families this i guess would have been like back in the 50s or 60s or something and then she went through the process with all the kind of like women's live movement and sexual revolution and whatever where kids became you know they went pretty far to the to the kind of hippie liberal side and became very much more experimental in their
1: yeah, and uh, they social inclinations. In the 80s right
0: yeah and then she said now and in particular just in the, like this present generation she says they you know they stay at home and they knit and they don't drink or do drugs or have sex and they're pretty you know Pretty (laughs) conservative in their values, so pretty boring. (laughs) uh, Yeah, maybe pretty boring, maybe contemplative. Um, But I thought we might we could just start the conversation with your uh, experience, because for people who don't know or haven't had the kind of uh, you know St. John's, haven't been to a St. John's seminar, or or, um, it's it's kind of a special program. Um,
1: and yeah I mean, I could just formative explain. in many ways yeah, I could probably just explain my experience um because it i even within St John's, which is a unique program, I even had- a unique experience because <clears throat> um Jen and I met my wife, Jennifer, and I met in um in Colorado, and we were on vacation. Uh, for a weekend, a weekend getaway in Santa Fe. And when we go and visit places, we like to go see like museums and and, like parks. And we usually try to find the local college. And so we found St. John's. And then when we go to colleges, we generally just go straight to the bookstore because we want to see what the kids are up to. Mm-hmm. And, and I was a kid at the time. So I was like, oh, I wonder what they do here. And I was a kind of aware of St. John's, but I, wasn't, I didn't know that it was a um, classics program. But then I was walking through the book, uh, the aisles of books in the bookstore. And I was just, I was totally blown away. I was like, oh this is where I should have gone to school. (laughs) And I started pulling books out and I started reading them and we were in the bookstore for like two hours or something.
0: Just in a maze of red and green lobes. Yeah.
1: (laughs) Oh my goodness. And the thing that I really like about the program is that the authors of the books, you read the original texts and they are really the teachers, the, the, um, the professors, if you will, are called tutors and they teach outside of their discipline. So whatever PhD they have or whatever teaching experience they have, when they're a tutor, they, they do it in a discipline and that they don't have their degree. Mm-hmm. So what the, the reason they're called tutors is because they can guide you through the process of understanding the text, but they don't, they don't have an authority in that in that field. So like you might have a, uh, I don't know, like a philosophy PhD um, helping you read Euclidean math mm-hmm. or geometry, right? So they're so, along for the
2: journey as well.
1: Yeah, so they're that, I mean, that's a huge part of it too. They're along for the journey because that's part of what they get out of it. They're there in the community and they're learning at the same time. Mm-hmm. but they also have like the discipline and the, um, the approach to help guide students who just don't have that kind of experience yet. So a lot of what happens is they're like, okay, let's try this. And then, and what, one of my favorite, um, one of my favorite phrases from St. John's and I still use it to this day with, with our own writers. And, um, and I do it myself is, uh,
2: Wow. Hmm. Let's unpack
1: that. Two,
0: three hour symposium, roundtable yeah, exactly. discussion.
1: <laughs> <laughs> right. So that, that just means like, well, you kind of have it, but we got to work on it a little bit. And then, and then you dig in, <clears throat> which I think is just, it's just a really interesting uh, approach. Uh, a couple other things I like is the, 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 fact that it's broken down into the segments that's what they call them segments which are like religion and philosophy and then you have math and science and then you have history and literature and uh i'm trying to think of another one Um, science and music or well music is part of it too um Uh there's another segment that i'm missing though but anyway it goes chronologically from like pre-Greek times all the way up to, I think right now they're up to about uh, 1920s mm-hmm. because they haven't, um, they they follow the Western canon and it's not clear past the 1920s, which of the works are going to kind of, you know, stand the test of time. So they like, I think the last piece I read when I was there and uh, Jesus, like 20 years ago now uh, was uh, a piece by Freud, so we made it all the way up to Freud. We, we did William James mm-hmm. and then we read to mm-hmm. Freud but it doesn't go much past that because they they're, they're only focusing on the works in the great conversation mm-hmm. that um, that have stood the test of time, meaning that they had an impact on the ideas that that are in in the culture and that, that people continue to to use and cite and uh, have had an influence on the way w- that we think right now
0: so yeah to that, be sure that's a i mean that's a fair thwack of the bookshelf for you going from the pre socratics all the way through uh, yeah. you know, post um Philosophy, you know, the moderns all the way through to as you said to Freud, so it's it's yes, it's, uh it's not like your bookcase is light at any at any point along the journey. yeah,
1: I mean, I look at my bookcase now, so it's like twenty years later, right? <laughs> I look at my bookcase and I'm like, oh shit, did I read all that stuff <laughs> <laughs> And then I get in conversations and i and i um know you know like remember something from school and uh and then I'll cite it. I'll be like, oh, yeah, that's what, uh, I don't know, Nietzsche said. And then literally people in the conversation will be like, what? <laughs> Excuse me? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Which I just think is fun. Um, yeah. And then the third thing that I, that I like about St. John's is that we, we would always joke about our, to ourselves and to other people that it's completely useless. Like you, the, can't, you can't go to St. John's and then go get a job. The only place you could go and work after that <laughs> is Agora. Agora? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but that, that that
0: so I would I would say that that maybe that's part of the of of the lost art of the great conversation because I, I wanted you to talk a little bit about the conversation that you had with Eve Braun and her kind yeah. of mentoring you into unpacking, if you will, the that very Socratic idea that the unexamined life is not worth living, and then the obvious corollary to that, that it, it's the deeply and profoundly examined life, um, and that examination that makes life worth living, uh, do you think that that's becoming...
1: Yeah, boss? let me just set that conversation up a little bit, because yep. um, <clears throat> Eva Braun, uh, Eva Brand, sorry, <laughs> like, like we were saying, not to be confused with the, the mistress. Um, she was the Dean of Students when I was at Annapolis and her office was in Annapolis at the time. And uh, just yesterday or the day before, she, uh, the Imaginative Conservative, which is a uh, website that publishes like classical thinking and they they post a lot of um, essays on um, people that are trying to to preserve the classics in the modern world and writing about it and thinking about it and using it. And she had given a, um, a commencement address at Zaytuna, uh, liberal arts college, which is a Muslim based faith-based college. And she was addressing, uh, the idea of studying the classics. And she herself said that it was useless, which I just thought was awesome because <laughs> she I mean it was a very kind of academic way of describing that the pursuit of knowledge and um, the collected wisdom in this case in the western tradition because they also teach the eastern tradition but in this case the western tradition has value in and of itself and I, I was just, I, I, don't know, I guess I, I read the notes from her commencement address and I was just like reminded at how important it is for us to be educated and think for ourselves for in and of its own value, like just mm-hmm. to be educated and understand how the world works and, and all that kind of stuff. So I was kind of, I don't know, I was sort of taken back to school a little bit in my head but I had a very special conversation with Eva when she was the Dean of Students at, um, at St. John's because I had, uh, I just moved across the country. Uh, let me tell you the story though because it, that, that kind of relates to why I was talking to her.
0: Yeah, because time in from the beginning.
1: Yeah, we went to, we went on that trip to um, Santa Fe and I was like, oh man, I should go here. And then they have a graduate program and then once you enter into the school, you can either attend in Santa Fe or Annapolis. It's an open campus, but they have two different, two different campuses. And um, our intention, Jennifer and I, our, our intention was to move to Santa Fe because we were living out west. We liked living out west. We were gonna stay out there. And uh, then, then I learned that my father had uh, brain cancer. So he was diagnosed like during that process of us leaving Colorado. And uh, and then my family persuaded me to move back east. And I was like, oh, well, I'll just go to Annapolis because it's close to New Hampshire. Ish. Which, yeah, <laughs> which if anyone knows geography, that's. Absolutely not true.
0: <laughs> right. That's not, that's not even close by, you yeah. know, to, it's not like even close anyway. to I mean, to exactly honest, to an Australian. Australian. Yeah.
1: Yeah, right. <laughs> right. Exactly. Yeah. So, and when we, when we started moving to Maryland, we, um, we actually had to look it up on a map. Like, we, I had traveled all over the country and done a bunch of stuff, but I'm like, okay, where is Annapolis? <laughs> I had right. to actually, like, <laughs> figure it out. But so, when we so, got there. so in other words, your
0: your your off the cuff move to Paris was not without precedent.
1: We can maybe get to that later, but oh uh, no, yeah, 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 You, yeah.
0: you, we'll you talk you, about you that. Had, you had decamped exactly without so your preparation on. beforehand. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. So, so we're in Annapolis.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So we're in Annapolis, and then uh, and then, like every graduate student on the planet, we had no money, and so I was trying to find a job and i actually went this is before computers and stuff i went to the jobs board i don't know if you remember what those were they used to post like i was looking for like i don't know can i be a waiter or can i um you know sweep floors or something like i just yeah, needed right. some money and i found a three by five card that was was posted on the jobs board and it was john ford whom we all know well from agora mm-hmm. and he had just graduated himself from a from St. John's Graduate Institute. And um, he and Bill were trying to start a writing group in Agora. And so he, he's like, well, I'll just go put a, uh, a card on the board at St. John's. And I just happened to find it. I needed a job. I had no idea what Agora was or anything, but I needed a job. And the name surely would
0: have appealed to you as a student of the classics.
1: Yeah. I mean, it seemed appropriate, right?
0: You're like, come on, who who else is yeah, hiring at the Agora? This is right. the Greek marketplace. <laughs> I, always- if anybody's
1: qualified for this, it's going to be me, right? It's probably Socrates that's going to hire me. Right, right. But, uh, <laughs> but anyway, I worked that out. But while I was um, trying to figure out the world of copywriting, which is kind of it, you know, it's a sales job in, in print. And uh, it's, it has its own kind of ethics and its own um, cadence and its own personality. Like it's a very distinct um, type of writing. It's very different than, than what you do in, at St. John's. So I was trying to continue my graduate program Studying like Euclidean and Lobachevsky and like all that kind of stuff, geometry, and and I did a whole. I remember one of my favorites was a um, was a class on um, the scientific method, which was founded by Claude Bernard, and we read the actual text that he wrote that founded the scientific method. I, that was one of my favorites. I don't even know why, because I'm not. I don't even give a shit about that stuff. But I, I loved it. But the framework as well. It's a, the, yeah. the logical step-by-step fallibility
0: yeah. and, you know, posting a hypothesis. Yeah, and that's, also.
1: Like, that's a breakthrough um, in and of itself. Right. And also, like, um, you know, you have your test samples and your, and your hypothesis. I mean, that's, that all came from Claude Bernard, mm-hmm. which ironically, when we uh, lived in Paris many years later, we lived on rue Claude Bernard. Ah, there you go. <laughs> Which was like, I don't know, <laughs> serendipity or something. Indeed, yeah. <laughs> but um, so I was trying to negotiate my, my work life and then the graduate work, and I just was like, it was mind-boggling. And Eva Brand was the dean, and I requested a like office meeting with her, like um, office hours. And I didn't even think she would respond because she's like, she was kind of the head of the school at the time. And she, she welcomed me gladly. And I talked to her for a couple hours. And uh, she let me complain a lot about how much work it was and, like, why do we do this and all that kind of stuff. Right. <laughs> and she basically gave me the same answer that was in her, um, in her commencement address to Zaytuna. She's like, we do it for its own value. And it, it it literally changed my life. Yeah, and it was one quite profound one really. conversation in person with with her, and she's been doing it for fifty years. It was I don't know, but it was kind of a profound moment for me. Yeah, and something
0: that you've had recourse to to summon uh, over the ensuing couple of decades.
2: Uh, yeah, like any time things
1: get difficult, I'm like, well, you know, that's okay because, <laughs> right? You know the the challenge is what it is and you, and you dig into it. Or other times I'm, I'm just wondering like, what's the purpose of all this? And then I really like she actually quoted Socrates by saying that the unexamined life is not worth living. I mean, that's, that's his most famous quote. And, uh, and when times get tough or when you're trying to like figure out why am I doing this? Or like you're trying to make a change or reinvent something. That reflection is what gives you. um, It gives you the tool to do something unique, Mm -hmm. and it gives you energy too. Because you're like, "Oh yeah, oh now, now I get kind of get it." But but it's that examination.
2: Yeah, it's a mental reset in a
0: way,
1: right? And it happens. It happens frequently. Every couple of years, with
2: yourself, you mean? Yeah. Yeah, I
1: mean, I just in the course of, of my life, I've, I've sort of tapped into that conversation I had with her every now and then, because I'm like, oh mm. yeah, okay. well, no, everything's fine. I just got to figure it out.
0: So how do you view that kind of um, the, the value, the inherent value of that lesson, which Eva had kind of transported from, from ancient times uh, all the way to Annapolis, to St. John's College, in light of the fact that these very texts uh these very foundational texts of western civilization are now and have been for have been for a while but but the calls are growing louder are now under attack as we we sort of touched on in our last conversation you and i that that those tools the 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 means by which we arrive whether it's by the scientific method or the or or the or uh or the socratic through socratic dialogue and and um you know the way that we arrive at truth. Now, truth is under attack. Now, the books that help us get there is under attack, uh, and it's you know we live in the kind of cancel
2: culture.
1: Yeah, I wonder about it, and it does concern me that there is a call to uh, cancel the classics because of their inherent whiteness. Is kind of the way it's phrased. Mm. Like they were the reason that we came to this um, to this point in history, where where white people have privilege or whatever. Like the way that it's phrased, um, I think is I think it's unfair. Um, but but I, I I think I said this during our last conversation too. It's a, it's unfair to me, but but I have a you know I have an affinity. For the classics and i'm also white so mm-hmm. like it's not really i it's not really my place to say whether it's fair or not like right. i just think that it's unfair because of the value of the ideas themselves and i don't think the ideas like an unexamined life is not worth living that's that's a profound idea that anyone can use
2: Anyone with so
1: any socioeconomic background, any race, any culture, like any anything, anything that's
0: available to everybody, that's kind of yeah. the point, right?
1: Yeah. And if you can reflect on your own life and be um, recharged, like what happens with me or like, like uh, come up with a new idea or anything, like those ideas have value. And I do believe, even though they're, I would say that, uh, they're under political pressure right now. I do believe. I mean, they've been around for a couple thousand years. Socrates was three thousand, thirty-five hundred years ago. Like, I think that the 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 ideas are strong enough that they will survive. And and I I sometimes I worry about it, but then then I, then I examine. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> and You know, my lifetime is going to be whatever, you know, if I live to 100, that's great. But that's 100 years among 3,500. Like, what I think about it doesn't really matter.
0: But uh, it does um,
1: help me and I appreciate it. Yeah, our
0: our mutual friend uh, and sometimes colleague, Chris Mayer, talks uh, about the Lindy effect, uh, which I'm sure you know, in... Uh, with regards to technology, something, I'll, I'll paraphrase it, but it's something like the longer a technology has been around the more likely it will be to stick around. And yeah. I like to think of the linear effect with regards to literature. Uh, I, I'm, yeah. I think that, uh, yeah, Ken Follett will fade away much quicker than, um, you know, Aristotle. What One would, no, casting no dispersions on Mr Follett, but uh, it yeah. does bode well for Aristotle. <laughs> and so I'm wondering what what you mentioned uh, was it the American Conservative is that the website you mentioned earlier?
1: No, it's actually called the Imaginative
0: Imaginative Imaginative.
1: Conservative. Imaginative Conservative, right? Sorry. So. And I don't um, actually know those guys, but uh, mm -hmm. I'm I'm pretty sure they they got some johnnies in there because the stuff they publish. I just read it because I like it. I don't even do anything with it. I just read it. I did for it that one around. from either brand, but it's only because it sparked an idea. Uh, yeah. but I read some other stuff that they publish, and it's always about the classics and, and right. application of the classical ideas to, to like the economy uh, that we're going through, to the pandemic, to, um, to the political environment that we're in. Uh, just so, a different perspective.
0: <laughs> yeah, I th- and I think uh, it was a... Aristotle who said that it's uh, the mark of an educated man who's able to entertain multiple ideas without necessarily <clears throat> uh, going along with them. Um, I'm wondering, just with regards to the political environment that you mentioned, we started talking about a liberal arts degree, and this is something that uh, the, the Tudor Bron uh, mentioned in her commencement um, at the university, and she went on to define you know what liberal means um, to be free to be free to engage in open discourse and um and frank debate yes. um, that used to be something that was associated with classical liberalism um, right. which is now as, as at least as i understand it kind of a more of a small c conservative or perhaps like a libertarian type value set maybe has you know shares more in a venn diagram with that well, I
1: would even say it's uh, libertarian with a small l. l yeah,
2: all <laughs> uh, lowercase. Yeah.
1: There is a libertarian party, which I always thought was an oxymoron another yeah. Like it doesn't right. make any sense. But the classical liberals were, you know, I saw this. Uh, I saw a cartoon a couple of days ago, which I thought was funny. It had on one hand, it had James Madison, and it was like fluent in Greek and right. Latin historian lawyer um orator and it like had all these things <laughs> in it, and it had him in his like um, colonial garb it was a cartoon right so he's like this we should find that and publish it because it's really yeah. funny and then on the other side it had um that that representative from georgia
2: i don't know who this person is
1: <laughs> she's uh i forgot what her name is but she's like gaining gaining um uh, uh I I'm, I hesitate to call it influence in the uh, in the Trump political party. Okay. And she's like, they called her a uh, gym tard. Oh my god. And she's like, she's always working out. And then she she's carrying a gun and she's got a headband. <laughs> this is wow. hilarious. So
0: that goes from and James so Madderton to Lady on a Peloton yeah, a, right. with a
1: rifle. <laughs> That's so crazy, but, I, but I, I don't know. I think it's funny because, you know, all humor has some truth to it.
2: And it, yeah, it actually some was. Some worrying truth, like, perhaps.
1: The, um, the caption was, um, where we started. James Madison, like, man of the world. <laughs> and historian, classicist. And where we are now. Yeah, goodness. <laughs> like, what the hell happened? This is Charles Darwin standing there with evolution. We
0: went the wrong way. Turn around. Go back. Yeah, right. uh,
1: so that's this. what, I mean, I'm trying to answer your question uh, about politics with, with an anecdote. But, um, but I do think that that's what's hap- happened. Is like, especially in an era of social media, Yeah, nobody's sitting down and trying to like um, be civic, civically responsible anymore. They're just trying to win votes or likes or follows like i mean you and i are both
0: old enough to remember that going viral were, had a very negative connotation <laughs> that, that maybe yeah, you right. needed to go to the doctor or right. you know if you if you, <laughs> if you were getting followers it meant that you were being stalked that yeah, was a terrible right. exactly. thing and now it's like you know you're being liked and right. or if and somebody liked and, you you had to question why <laughs> yeah you were you were looking at their motives and um but one yeah. of the other uh, kind of Things that or trends that I see afoot and maybe you've noticed it too is uh, you know we, we're used to framing the political discussion in the kind of traditional right-left paradigm I know that's not something that you necessarily buy into and, and neither do I but something that I think has been a more useful um, kind of schematic for um, for political opinion of late and this is particularly true with regards to the, the age of social media and Hundred and forty character sound bites, etc., is the delineation between liberal, and this gets back to what what um, I think Eva Braun was talking about with yeah. classically liberal and illiberalism. And illiberalism can can be on the right end, as we're discovering now, on the left. It's you know it's anathema to free speech and open inquiry and, and all that kind of stuff. So I don't think people are kind of equipped to thinking about so called progressives being the Equally, the illiberal uh, party that that seems to be at least I kind of find it as a new phenomenon.
1: Yeah, because the labels when you get into that public space where you're talking about ideas that are commonly held, um, they don't they don't really mean anything anymore. So I use the term liberal in like the classical sense, meaning free, mm-hmm. but. But liberal, obviously, in, especially in the U.S., gets used as, like, a um, slander.
2: Majority, yeah. I have,
1: so I play tennis with these old guys. And I say old guys, but there are some my age, and then they go all the way up to, like, 80. And the Kamish, the we call him, the guy that, like, runs the group, is probably, like, in his mid-70s. Super nice guy. Shout but out when, to Kamish. Yeah, yeah, shout out to Commission special. He's got this one forehand that, like, nobody can return. Um, It's it's funny. But he, uh, when he misses a shot, he'll go, you know,
2: you got me bastard. Or that (laughs) is, you
1: liberal son of a bitch. Like, he's always like, yeah, (laughs) yeah. and then he'll say, Maxine Waters. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> that's if that's if it's it's getting really serious right? yeah but and then he has a whole list of uh dying feinstein like <laughs> he like, has a whole list of ways of insulting the ball yeah it's, but, it's, but that's what I, I guess that's the point i'm trying mm-hmm. to make is that it gets used as liberal now gets used as a slander in american politics
2: Right. It's like yeah, a it
1: snowflake or, or something. Yeah, but the, the root of the word is actually what we all want.
2: Right. I mean,
1: that's what I like about uh, uh, Eva Braun's uh, commencement. is She's like, the, the whole point of liberalism is to be able to be free. The mm. root of is freedom to choose what you want to do. And then there's no output on the other side. There, It's free it's free to do what you want to do for its own value. Right. And that's, I just, I have always believed that. And I use the term liberal in that way, but um, it's hard to, to use that term in public.
0: I think it's one of those terms we have to rest back from, you know, it's been, yeah. it's been sequestered do do it? and it needs to be.
1: I tried yeah, with, I, our, with our publication, Laissez-faire, which means mm-hmm. to let things go. hmm Leave alone, yeah. And we still publish it. And you you wrote for it for a while. Indeed, uh, indeed. Uh, but the, because it's French, it's kind of like that, that phrase, I, I love this one, where George W. Bush had said, the problem with the French is they don't have a word for entrepreneurship.
0: <laughs> Having obviously never studied French. <laughs> <laughs> Which is awesome. Yeah, but um, did, like, did so when you use the
1: word laissez-faire, like people were like, "Oh, you, you want some cheese with that wine?" Right, right. <laughs> didn't didn't Mister
0: Mister uh, George W. also say that that the 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 goal was that we needed to just make the pie higher?
1: Yeah, make the pie <laughs> higher. Well, he did say that. <laughs> Keep but it I out think of everybody's everybody. reached. <laughs> you know, he did say make the pie higher. Which I think is, I, I've used that many times in writing because I think also, it's funny. Hilarious. But I actually looked up, I looked it up. There's this uh, a website called snopes.com.
0: Okay, is this one of those it,
1: false hands on fire kind of thing? Yeah, he never said that the French don't have a word for entrepreneurship. He never oh, said freedom. okay. But it that got spread so. around. It's like, it's kind of like, it, once it gets published in the New York Times.
0: Mm-hmm. Oh, it's then it's, then it's, it's, it's a page six direction, page.
1: yeah. <laughs>
0: Yeah, three months later, there's a page six correction, but by then it's already part of the of the
1: mainstream but, vernacular. Yeah, you know, I mean, I repeated it like fifteen times. I just repeated it now because I think it's <laughs> funny, but it's actually not true. Right. <clears throat>
0: and so, with uh, I'm thinking, of, you know, going back to these, you, you mentioned uh, Madison just a second ago, and and it, it really is phenomenal when you when you look at um, the founding fathers. I was in. Um, I went to visit Monticello the last time I was up. The last time I came up for the for the yeah day yeah, yeah. yeah
1: um
0: twenty year summit. Uh, when was that? Early that was early twenty twenty.
1: Uh, no, late, it was November. Um, late nineteen, late, late, late
0: yeah twenty nineteen. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So I went to Monticello and and had a look around. And you know um, Jefferson's got this enormous, you know, very impressive library. I think he read in you know half a dozen languages. And and at one point they were thinking of making. I think the official language of the United States Greek, and you know they wrote. He and um, and Adams actually wrote had some epistolary correspondence where they they wrote in Greek. I don't know if they were just didn't want their wives to read what they were saying, or maybe maybe their wives spoke better Greek than they do. I don't know.
1: Yeah, it was like but espionage at that time.
0: Yeah, indeed. <laughs> <laughs> but I wonder, um, and this goes again all the way back to uh, Eva Braun and and uh, Anantiodromer and Heraclitus that that we began this, what's sometimes referred to as the noble experiment, and this is apropos with uh, Memorial Day coming up, which was really seeded in the idea of limited government and, or at least a small a kernel of of government as was absolutely uh, barely necessary, uh, put forth by a bunch of guys who were very, very steeped in, uh, you know, the, the lessons of dead white men uh, from, from Greece and Rome and, uh, and elsewhere. And it feels like two and a half centuries later, as we come out of the pandemic, which you've been um, talking about in your survive and thrive during the pandemic uh, podcast. If now we've gotten in 2021, we might be post pandemic, but we also have a pandemic sized governmental apparatus, which has yeah. has kind of straddled itself, uh, you know, sea to shining sea. So yeah, it's, it really, I don't know. It's don't astounding
2: me.
1: to me because when, um, you know, you were around when we were doing this, we put together the documentary Iowa USA, we followed David Walker, who was then uh, head of the GAO, which he was like responsible for keeping the books of the U.S. government, the federal government, and um, he was going around the country trying to educate like civic groups and stuff like that, like small town stuff. Mm -hmm. um the dangers of asking their representatives to to spend more money and he was trying to educate like individuals on the ground and we followed him around for 18 months and we made a movie out of it and um when we released the film we were afraid at that time that the the um the debt was gonna. We released it on August twenty second of two thousand eight, and we were afraid that the debt was gonna cross ten trillion dollars. Mark that now we would.
2: No, no, no. no. People I, would I, love to go back to that
1: because we were yeah. like, oh no, it took you know two hundred and seventy years or whatever to get to this point, and then we just we were gonna cross this thing. But what happened that year? Like we released it on August twenty second. And then september 17th just a scant few weeks later um lehman brothers went bust and then the famous bailout period uh began and uh it was an election year and we didn't know that that at the time that obama was going to be president but it kind of looked like he would be but it actually crossed um 10 trillion before the fiscal year ended, which is at the end of September. So like literally, like the whole film was built around the idea like 10 trillion, oh we can't do that. But it crossed it within six weeks of us releasing the film. So it actually made our film out of date. Because release. (laughs) Yeah. It was hard to like circulate it because they're like, oh people would see it and they're like, well we're already over 10 but then by the time obama was inaugurated we were over 11 so we spent a trillion dollars in 3 months but but now and so i was you know of course like writing about that and freaking out and that was called part of the armageddon gang because uh-huh. i was worried about it that was on time in the on the cover of time magazine and um then uh I mean, we were we spent six point five trillion in two twenty twenty alone, and if Obama, I mean, if Biden gets his way, we're gonna spend. Well, we will have spent six point five trillion in one quarter. Insane. <clears throat> so, like, I look back at the, the work we were doing back then, and I uh, go, you know, like just <laughs> <It> is <was, Yeah. laughs> it 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 antiquated and useless but i do think I, i've been doing like on on my uh the wigan session podcast i've been talking to a lot of people about like mmt modern monetary theory and um and the infrastructure bill and those kinds of things and that i can't find anyone who actually thinks it's a good idea so so my question is really like who thinks this is a good idea like <clears throat> other than people who are just getting payouts from the government yeah well we were, we were talking this
0: was kind of a, a breakfast table conversation uh, 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 with the family here I mean, in houston for um, for people listening but and uh, you know there's there's one sense that especially with, you know, the official beginning of summer coming on and, and you know, numbers here in Texas are probably similar to what they're like up in Maryland where they're, at, you know, a tenth of the, the pandemic kind. So there's this feeling of kind of optimism and yeah, yeah. there are star-spangled banners up and down the street and, you know, festooned on every, you know, front porch, uh, help wanted signs in every window of restaurants and things like that. So there's a, there, I feel like and maybe you get the same um, impression that there's a – that there's – you know people are they've had enough of doom and gloom in 2020 and they're ready to get out and start barbecuing and you know um unleash the the fury of the american economic engine yeah. um <clears throat> but at the other side uh i feel like people have been accustomed to you know everything from individual uh, the equivalent of what bernanke would call helicopter money where we're just mailing checks and, and they're not even checks. They're just direct deposits into your bank, as I understand. Yeah. So you don't, even, <laughs> you don't even see the, see the money. Your, your account is just credited in some weird Orwellian kind of uh, uh, way. But the, the point being, what, what, uh, it would be political suicide, you would think, for a party to get up there and say, vote for me. I'm going to stop sending you money.
1: Um, yeah, you I know, mean, who's going to of... vote for that?
0: Yeah. Uh, you know, I don't think I don't know too many people who will say, "You know what? My family of four doesn't need the next eight thousand uh,
1: dollars. I will I will forego that as part of my patriotic duty." That, that doesn't. But isn't like that? I mean, that's a central flaw of uh, mass Western democracies. Majority, yeah yeah they can uh they can just vote their way into the public treasury, and as long as they have a theory like modern monetary theory which says as long as you spend it into existence and can tax against it, mm. then there we can print as much as we want yeah and so who's gonna vote who's gonna mm. say no to that i mean that's a it's it's kind of a uh, self deception on a like massive scale and and the thing is it's not only in the us like we you know we're critical of the us because we live here and and we're writing about it and all that kind of stuff but it happens in europe it happens in in china like everybody's just printing money oh yeah i I I just did a uh i just did a podcast with egon von Greyertz. you know who he is he's uh he runs this thing called um uh Matterhorn Asset Management. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah. He's in um, he's in Zurich, and he just built a vault in the hills somewhere. He won't tell any anybody where it is, but he has clients from all over the world that are just storing gold because um because they're looking at the fiat system. And if you could take like a thirty thousand foot view of the fiat system and a historical view, you know that the like the Every dollar that's printed has less value than the one before it. And if we're spending trillions of dollars, like there's no way. I mean, what kind of tax program could they put in place that's going to that's gonna fund that?
0: Yeah. Somebody should write a book like Demise of the Dollar or something like that. That'd be a good <laughs> good title.
1: Yeah, that's a good title.
0: Yeah, with like a paper uh, airplane you know what? made you know out of what? money I would and- read that book. You would read that? <laughs> yes, yeah, I bra- would read that one. That's a brave endorsement. That's <laughs> Yes, and, and I, the, I think it's, I mean, you know, you mentioned Europe, uh, the U.S., the, the same kind of things going on. You know, I, I spend most of my time down in Argentina, and they are they are experts at currency destruction, um, you know, right. and, and now I think...
1: Yeah, they do it quickly and efficiently.
0: Yeah, which, which on the one sense is kind of like... Um, it's like a, a pressure valve, where you know they have these decennial crises where things get so bad so quickly, but but um, but the recoveries typically only take a couple of years. Of course, the long-term trajectory is you know from one of the wealthiest countries in the world in the middle of last century to now you know kind of economic basket case. Um, but yeah, I, I do feel like the the. The isolationism, the geographic isolationism that um, that came about during the last year, where planes were grounded, where you know people couldn't move, and um, and that kind of stuff, that, that exacerbated or rather accelerated the trends that were were already in motion before the pandemic. So we already had money printing, we already had
1: surveillance, yeah. we already had. But I brother, think that, I I agree with you. But I think what actually happened is it. it uh, what's the Rom? Manuel uh, quote: "Never let a good crisis go to waste." Yeah, like it really. The the deeper the crisis, and it was global this time. It like governments used it as an example, and I think it's individual actors within governments, but but just government in general used it as a, an opportunity to just control everything. Yeah, and we don't we don't. It's going to be hard to roll back the spending. It's going to be hard to roll back any of the um, the even on the local level the amount of um not not control but like the the policies that are in place that that guide your daily life like that's that's not going away after the crisis. Yeah, I mean at at the very least, I'm. And there's so I'm many reminded- people that support it too, which is. just Scary to me.
0: Well, okay. So on that exact point, I'm, I'm reminded when I come to America, as I've been doing for the last twenty years, and I, 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 I hesitate to say this, but but I, I think it's true. I think that there is a certain perspective that non-Americans get of the United States when they come here because it's such a unique country, and it has such a strong um, history of of kind of people standing up for civil liberties and and part of that i think is due to the fact that you guys fought a war of independence or your forefathers fought a war of independence so you know that the, the old joke why um, australia surrendered there or don't have a second amendment is because they're not citizens they are subjects uh, to, yeah. to to the monarch so so even you is know that, have is, many... that, is that really a joke or is that well maybe maybe <laughs> just something i maybe it's just something i say <laughs> But, but there, you know, there is a, a, a long and proud history, I think, of people here saying, you know, when, it, when an edict comes down from on high, they're, they're apt to at least sort of question it and say, well, hang on a second, before I go along with that, uh, you know, decree, you're going to have to explain to me why this is in my best interest or why I should surrender this right in order for, you know, a little security or whatever it happens, whatever the trade-off of the day happens to be. Whereas in a place... Uh, like Australia, which is now uh, called uh, Lockdown Under or Fortress Australia, um, you know, the, the government there because they've had, you know, the last 30 years have been a relatively uninterrupted bull market. It's, yeah. you know, it's more or less prosperity for all on the back of a resources boom in their geologic and geographic, um, you know, endowments. So there's not that same um, reflex of, of questioning authority that, that I feel is alive and well, especially when I come to a place like Texas. <laughs>
1: <Yeah>. um, <clears throat> but I wonder though, I, that this whole pandemic has been an experience for me too, because there were a lot of people that would, that just, they just rolled over. Mm-hmm. And then started like chastising like the mask issue. I was like, this is retarded. Why, why how did masks become a political issue? But, but right. they became a symbol of the people that were complying versus the ones that are like, I'm not doing that. And, right. and then I think the spirit that you're talking about is the people that are like, please don't tell me what to do. Or actually, they, they don't even say, please. They just say, don't tell me. I'm not doing do. it. Yeah. And then it became like a d- division between individuals. Like I saw it all the time here in Baltimore. Like, mm-hmm. There were people that were just like, "I'm not wearing a mask." And then it, we, you have a have it to some extent with the vaccines too. People are like, "I'm just not getting a vaccine," and it's not because I don't think it's good for me or not. I'm just not doing it. <laughs> so I think, <laughs> so I think the- that 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 spirit exists, but um, but there's a ton of people that just that actually get on the other side and and try to enforce it among their own. You know, we we see all these fights on. Uh, Airplanes right now. As people are getting back on airplanes,
2: mm-hmm.
1: people are getting in fights on airplanes because one is not going to wear a mask and another is wearing a mask, and then they end up getting fist fights. Like, yeah, that, that <laughs> is like, a ex- ex- bizarre phenomenon. <laughs> <laughs> if but you'd have told if, me five uh, years uh, ago
0: that there'd be like an outbreak of like forty thousand foot high air brawls over face masks it would be like i
1: heard there was like 2700 fistfights in since the since people could start flying again goodness yeah but but i guess the point i'm trying to make is that there, as much as that spirit is alive that you know don't tread on me idea Mm -hmm. there is an equal number of people on the other side that are like do as i say because the government policy says that you have to do this. And then they try to enforce it themselves. Right. Well, Which I, I did find a, strange. I it's a foreign idea to me, but, but here they are. Yeah,
0: I guess the, um, to, to bring it back again to Ms. Braun's wisdom, um, <clears throat> there's that idea that, that, um, you know, the, the, the tension between the opposites is what helps support both sides. Uh, and so the definition of authoritarianism from, it, and I've written about this recently, but either from the right or the left, is the opposition just rolling over, and you're just getting one, you know, fell swoop. Whether it's you know communism from the so-called left and fascism from the so-called right, but if there's not a, a kind of staid and um, dedicated opposition, then you know you're 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 apt to land in hot water pretty. Pretty quickly so uh, while not advocating fist fights on the you know 43d and 43c uh,
1: <laughs> a bit of bit of healthy
0: dissent i think is probably
1: probably valuable yeah i mean i would definitely fall on the side of the people that don't want to be told to do what to do but at um at the same time i'm vaccinated and i wear a mask <laughs> yeah well well it's one no, of those I do things think, where- <laughs> i think i don't want to talk about it and i don't want to argue with anyone
0: yeah, and also you want to you want to travel,
1: right? I mean you I know yeah, you're well, you, I actually you're
2: haven't
0: going to Greenland up Oh yeah, that's coming in um, August. Tell anyone? okay. Yeah, so I mean it's it's a shame that that now a scientific decision has to be colored with political considerations. You have to decide, you know, my my family live in Australia. Like they've just been locked down, they've just been advised that travel won't return to normal until mid-2022 it's not even mid 2021 yet. I mean, it's, you know, once a penal colony, always a penal colony, but, but so if I, if I want to go and, you know, have my six year old daughter spend any of her childhood with her grandparents in Australia, then there's only one way for us to go there and yeah, I have to get vaccinated to do that. But it's a shame that that's part of the consideration. It should just be, here's the science and this is what you're putting in your body. Um, you know, shouldn't be tainted with that, but, um, but anyway, do you want to uh, give us a, a quick preview of your uh, upcoming trip to Greenland? And we'll, um...
1: Yeah, it's kind of cool, actually, because, um I, you know, and I'll just give a, a background to it. Um, <clears throat> a long time ago, I met this gentleman named uh, John Englander, and he's a climatologist. And uh, maybe like 10 years ago, he set up a uh, an institute to show what the impact of rising sea level is on uh coastal communities so he among his clients are um like communities that are affected like i believe i don't don't, well i'll just use this as as an example i don't know if um if annapolis is one of his clients like the municipality but he uses that as an example all the time when he's talking because it's right on the water and see you can measure sea level rise um right on the port and there, are like there's a community called um, uh, seaport right on the southern side of annapolis that where the where the houses are right at sea level so any kind of sea level rise and he uses that as a as a oh it's called eastport sorry
0: i, I used to live in i used to live in uh eastport actually. oh did you yeah. yeah lived there
1: for oh that's right <clears throat> well i lived on green street which is up the hill so I, yeah you it, doesn't, you're, matter, it you're, doesn't matter to me <laughs>
0: your your, li- your library was not under threat of
1: cancellation yeah. from rising sea levels <laughs> um but so he that's that's like what his uh function is like he goes and one of the things he's doing is he's leading trips to greenland so uh my daughter and i are going to um, go We have to go to Denmark first, Denmark is, or Greenland's part of Denmark, and then we fly to Greenland, and then we actually have to buy uh, crampons so that we can hike up onto the glaciers. And the the whole thing is an educational trip to show how climate change is diminishing or, you know, melting the glaciers. Mm and th- I'm interested mo- primarily because it's happening, it's measurable, but it's, it, it, it's like this pandemic thing. Like it's a big, it's such a big idea
2: mm-hmm.
1: that people just get all political about it and they have um, opinions that they think everyone should share and know. You know, like these public service announcements about it and all that kind of stuff. So I'm I'm going as a uh, as a skeptic in the classical sense.
0: You're going to see for see for yourself, yeah.
1: Yeah, I'm gonna go put the crampons on and climb up on the glaciers. And he's got a whole like educational program that goes with it. So there, I think there's a a few like lectures in Denmark, and then we fly over there. I think we have to take a boat, when we climb up on the glaciers, and we can actually cool. see the evidence and stuff like that. I'm really looking forward to it, and um, it's it's somewhat dangerous. So there's only eight people per trip.
2: Wow,
1: okay. It's a very it's like he calls it a educational expedition. So sounds cool. That's in the the end of August, and uh, I'm really looking forward to it just because I like these ideas that go from from your personal life. To the public life, that I'm really interested in the what happens when an idea gets publicly held. Like climate change is is something, and then like this, this is my favorite one. Everyone wants to drive electric cars, right? Because that's going to cold, save coal-powered cold electricity. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> so like like nobody fakes beyond. Oh, we're going to save the planet because we can plug our cars in. But where the electricity the first <laughs> <over the> place? <laughs> right.
0: Yeah, that, that's it's very interesting that uh, connective tissue or the lack of connective tissue between the ideas in the private domain and yeah, the and
1: public. the attitude that people get about it is just unbelievable to me. Like, well, if, it's, if you connected the dots, you would. It's kind of like uh, another one that I. We recycle in our house, mm-hmm. but it's fairly obvious that the recycling just goes to the same place that the trash goes
2: to. I think
1: we feel good about it. And I did, I just did it this morning.
2: I maybe that's part of, of the recent bag it's, and it's all yeah. separated. I did the whole
1: thing, but I know that it's, it's the same truck that picks up my garbage. <laughs> right. <laughs> well, but anyway, these big, the big ideas, that's why, that's why I'm interested in going on the trip because I want to just see it for myself. Then mm-hmm. I can write about it a little bit more intelligently instead of just reading what other people think about it.
0: Right. Well, that two two uh, ideas spring to mind. Then the the Chicagoan novelist Saul Bellow, one of my favorite all time novelists. Yep. Um, in I think it was it was either Herzog, I think it was Herzog, or maybe Humboldt's Gift. Where uh, no, it was in Herzog where he wrote. Um, a kind of corollary to Gresham's law which you and I recognize from the realm of economics um, which is bad money drives out good and he he observed that um, in the world of politics that public life drives out private life
2: so when you have
0: these you know when you have these these precious uh, high value moments that are you know with your friends or with your family or in your private life when you When you're in the kind of milieu that we're in right now, where everything becomes a public partisan issue, then that that drives out what's really valuable uh, in life and and kind of sidelines it. and I think that that yeah. kind of goes back to our our idea about the or rather Socrates idea about the the examined life being worth living, and then I thought also about uh I did a podcast recently with my wife Anya, who has the classicalwisdom.com website, and we were talking about. Uh, ancient skeptics and whether access to truth was was really a thing, or whether we were kind of chasing our tails, and uh, whether we could really ever know anything. And one of the one of the people on the on the panel discussion was talking about uh, that most famous misquoted uh, utterance from from uh, from the father of philosophy, when, when Socrates says, "All that I know is that I know nothing." What, what he actually said was, that which I do not know, I do not claim to know, which is very, very different. <laughs> totally, totally different. So, so anyway, with it, it, in that spirit, uh, yeah, it's good to see you're, you're heading along. We'll have to get an
1: update. No, from I'm, what, I'm excited you about it. Because, that. Yeah, I'm excited about it because um, I've just been apathetic to the whole climate change thing entirely because i that which i do not know i do not claim to know because i i literally don't have an opinion yeah (laughs) but i've known john for uh i've known him for a long time i met him down in nicaragua actually um he came on one of our um trips he was thinking about buying property down there at the ranch and uh
2: up on a hill probably right (laughs) yeah pretty high up (laughs)
1: But he was just an interest. He's really nice. He's an interesting guy and he's really thoughtful. And he he claims himself to be a libertarian with a a lowercase L, which I that's what I am. So, I mean, if we're going to put labels on things. Yep. (laughs) Yep. (laughs) And so I've just gotten along with him forever. And he comes to Annapolis all the time. So then he'll stop by uh, and visit us in the office. And he's been doing that for like 10 years. So. I'm looking forward to the program that he puts together because then I've, I feel like I'll at least have some experience and a little bit more knowledge about, about the whole thing. I might even formulate an opinion on it.
0: Well, you know, they can be dangerous opinions, but yes. formed ones. Yeah, I'll probably learn just <laughs> enough to be dangerous. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, good stuff, mate. Well, I'm cognizant of the fact that I've I've occupied your your yeah that's valuable fr- Friday afternoon time for an yeah, hour
1: trying to get my editorial done for today. <laughs> uh,
0: <laughs> you know, there's there's that old joke where um, <clears throat> you know two two writers meet up and and one says to the other, "So, how's it all going?" And says, "Well, you know, I've uh, I've mended the cushions and I've." I've sewn some new drapes, and I've you know painted the shed, and so terrible case of writer's block. Ah, oh, yeah, I've got it bad. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Happy to well, be part of the is, procrastination.
1: <laughs> yeah, this is helpful.
0: All right, mate. Uh, All right. Let's let's catch, let's catch up again. I'm um, we're in uh, in in town. Um, you know, as far as small uh, geography in the United States is concerned. It's, Annapolis being close to New Hampshire. We're in Texas, so we're pretty close to Annapolis by that yeah, yeah. by that f- figuring. Yeah. So it's uh only so like we, three
1: hours away by plane. Right, exactly. Yeah,
0: so with we with the mask on. We might make it up there uh, at some point in the next uh, in the next few months. So we should keep, keep in touch and catch yeah, up definitely. there for
1: sure. And we should do this again.
0: Indeed. Indeed. Yeah. All right, mate. Thanks, Addison. All right, Cheers. cheers. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Bonner Private Research Podcast. You can find more conversations like this in the members-only section of our website at Research.com. If you would like to contact us, please address compliments and complaints alike to podcast at com. We look forward to hearing
2: from you either way. Until next week.